This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio, Radio 94 WIP. And Kyle, buddy. How? What happened to this season? <laughs> it was like it's over, like, Elliot. It's a all, week it's ago, all done. A week ago, I'm on the pod being like, they don't even have to win in the second round. We already know they're good enough. Joel's MVP. And look, it's just two games. But man, I wake up this morning and uh being the trusty beat reporter you are, I see you were tweeting well into the night about that loss to the Suns. And man, your tweet about what it's going to take to get the two seed coming off of those losses to uh, the Warriors and the Suns, not the way you want to start your Sunday morning. Uh, how, how you feeling, buddy? Good, man. Um, I mean, one, and we could say this, we could have said this heading into the, the trip. We know that James Harden is really important <laughs> for this team, right? Like, yeah, there's they... a reason I get these top 10 in MVP rankings now. It's, uh, it's becoming clear. To not have James Harden is a pretty big deal. Like they, they are still a good team without him, right? Like I, I think you saw Friday night that Joel Embiid can get to a level that very few guys in the league can get to. I thought you know you lose that game against the Warriors, it's not a huge deal. Big, I mean it, it's a it was a big deal in the sense that I was expecting a loss. In that Phoenix game, I know they were banged up and people were like, well, they're on a back-to-back too. I just, I had written that down as a loss in my mind before Mm -hmm. the game was ever played. Whereas Golden State, I just, I don't think they've been very good. And I thought that was a very winnable game. And you just lose it. You lost it based on shooting, essentially. Like they couldn't hit shots. Golden State took, I think, 21 more threes than they did. Made 10 more or something like that. And it's just a math problem game. It happens. Like it's not a fun, a fun thing, but it happens sometimes that the other team makes more threes, and you just can't overcome that deficit. Uh, I had a much bigger problem with the loss to Phoenix than I thought I would. You saw Harden's absence loom large, and how they set up on offense. And I, like I haven't said this in a while with Joel because I think he's been great. That was a fucking bullshit effort Mm. from Embiid last night and I think it's one of those that I almost think they would have been better off just sitting him and you pray that you can win without him and Harden like you let Paul Reed and I guess not Deadman because Deadman was probably the worst player in basketball last night but you try to win a different way and you get the um you sort of juice those guys up in the sense that, you know, Joel's not playing. We all got to step our games up where I think because he played and he came out sluggish and didn't really have it, they all felt like, or looked like they felt like they had an excuse to kind of roll over and not give their best effort and got killed on the boards at times. They just, you know, Phoenix looked like a livelier team than they did Mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that they had played on the road the night before as well. So I I just thought that was pretty horrible. Yeah. Before we get into the specifics of both of the losses, uh, I mean, I agree with you. Embiid versus the Warriors was unbelievable. Like I I tweeted during the game, he might be playing better right now than almost any player in franchise history, just in terms of his ability to score pretty much literally, literally whenever he wants, he comes out the next night. He was slow to start for sure. I picked it up a little bit, but ultimately not good enough. 
my thing is, and you know, we've recorded since the Bulls series or series, the Bulls, you know, two games thing where, where they split. They've had three winnable games, or at very least two of them. The Bulls won at home, double overtime. I mean, that game was winnable multiple times. Uh, the Warriors game, they have it. They're up like six midway through the fourth, close throughout, falls apart at the end, but that was a very winnable game. The Suns game falls apart. They lose every single quarter. They lose the fourth by quite a bit. But it's like, man, we were sitting here talking about the one seed's not crazy. And at the very least, they're going to be competitive for the two seed. And it really shows that in this conference, it's just there's so little room for error. There is so little room for error because you go out losing back-to-back games on the road out on the West is not the end of the world. It's not a, this team is bad. They're not the, the team we thought they were type of thing. But what it does do is it changes the outlook because if you're going to be the three seed and you're not going to be the two, and I mean, I think we, we talked about briefly, but they're going to have to pretty much go undefeated and have the Celtics lose two games. Now the Celtics, I believe still have two, back-to-backs left so maybe you 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 find some hope in that but ultimately just feels like this thing has crashed and burned over the last few days because it looks like they're going to be the three seed Harden's still not playing I mean Embiid plays in both games which is encouraging but the fact that they actually played Embiid in both games they put McDaniels back out there it didn't seem like they did a let's be cautious with people thing on these last two games and Harden still didn't play who knows if he'll play on Monday but it, it just feels like the outlook for the optimism and the eight straight wins and Embiid's unbelievable. It feels like it's it's all emotionally. I know realistically not, but emotionally, it feels like it's crashed and burned. Well, and even in that within the Phoenix game, they went down, uh, let's say, 15 in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. And at that point, I think you could see like this game's done. They don't yep. have it. Tyrese was awesome and is still you know playing hard, making shots, whatever. But outside of him, that he was the only guy that had a prayer in that game. Like everybody else, including Joel, struggled mightily. And I thought there was a clear case to just say, let's pack it in. And instead, you know, Joel comes in and he pads his stats a little bit. And I'm sure there is might have been a conversation about that. Like let Joel's probably saying he wants to play, try to cut into this, whatever, but just was not worth it. Like I, I would have just sat Joel the entire fourth quarter and let it like toss this one away. <laughs> it was clear it had gotten away from them. But yeah, like to your point, so I, I tweeted this late last night. The problem is that they need to win their final eight games yeah. and have Boston lose two outside of the loss to them. Like that. Right. So going undefeated means the Sixers beat them. Then they have to lose two on top of that. And, you know, if you look at the schedule, the if you're going to pinpoint spots where they could lose, they have to play at Milwaukee. That's a tough one. But Milwaukee's on a, the second half of back-to-back that night. And they could just say, we're going to rest all our guys or whatever. Like, they have a cushion at the top of the conference mm-hmm. that says, we don't have to do any of that. And then it's that mini-series against Toronto that I've talked about all year that those are tough to win both halves of it. So it's not impossible that Boston could lose three games. But, I mean, in this run of form that the Sixers are in, they've now hit a skid here. Yeah. And we're not totally sure what James's health is going to be between now and the end of the season. To say, like, oh, yeah, I, I think they could win eight straight games in the year, that's, that's a pretty bold claim from where we sit today. Well, all right, so two questions. And take whichever one you want first. What's gone wrong these last two games? And really, we could include, you know, the Bulls game because that loss, I think, is really big, too. But also, last time we talked, um, you know, it was a a pod basically about health. And Embiid has come back and played really well against the Warriors. So I think you can feel pretty good about where Embiid's at. But as I said, Harden has not played. And his his value to the team has been on display these last two weeks by not playing. Sorry, last two games by not playing. Any further update or any new type of feeling you have about the Harden injury and just really what what has gone wrong is it as bad is it as simple as no Harden or are you seeing other things that are maybe concerning so I I mean it seems like Harden is going to potentially play Monday against Denver which that'll be good they'll they'll have him back and they're being as cautious as they can be without just saying hey we're gonna 
throw the rest of the season essentially. So no alarm bells that I've heard sounded. If he, for whatever reason, doesn't play in that game, I think that's when we start to get into, all right, maybe this is a little more concerning than they're letting on territory. As far as what is going on and if there's, you know, more to this than just missing Harden, I think a lot of it comes down to Harden because, you know, you just see how long it's taken them to get into their offense how much they're asking Joel and Tobias to do. I mean, look, Tobias didn't play well Saturday night, but had a good game in Golden State. I just, I don't think it's a recipe for success to throw him the ball 20 feet from the basket with a guy on his hip. And and then you just say, create something, like make something happen. That's not an offense. It's not, or at least it's not a successful offense. You might get away with it against bad teams, like, uh, who are throwing games at the end of the year, or even like some mediocre teams where he's got matchup advantages. But for him to try to do that night after night after night, there's a reason that you know he's fallen out of the pe- or fallen down the pecking order over the years. Like yeah. it's just not a way to play efficient basketball. And even Joel, like they're throwing a ball to Joel just inside the three point line on a lot of possessions last night, rather than. You play with James, and James gets him the ball, and he's right at the elbow, and a lot of times he's wide open there or has a driving lane if somebody's up on him versus last night in Phoenix. I mean, he's being defended by Bismack Biombo, who he should be able to destroy, yeah. and he's not able to because so many of those possessions are starting so far from the hoop that it's like, hey, Joel, you got to do everything here. And, and I just think that they're putting him – in a tough spot from that sense. So yeah, a lot of that comes back to Harden makes a big difference for this team. Tyrese is not the sort of playmaker and pick and roll partner and all that, that James is. And I know Tyrese played awesome against Phoenix as a scorer, but yeah, you can definitely see the differences there. I also just thought, as I said, to open the pod, I I think you could be plenty happy with how they played against golden state. They, yeah, they were not good in the final quarter, but some of that is just Joel ran out of gas and nobody else had anything. And, and I just throw my hands up at that one and say they couldn't make shots, whatever. To come out and get so thoroughly outplayed by Phoenix was a little worrying to me, but I just chalked that up as it's three games and four nights. Joel clearly didn't have it and shouldn't have played probably, but is out there because if he – sits a game then that you know the mvp implications and all that stuff and he also feels he has an obligation to the team because Mm -hmm. james is out and he's healthy enough to play so i just i'm not going to give him credit for playing and then bullshitting his way through the game and not giving the best effort on rebounds and defense and all that so i think he knows he can be better i think they can probably see what went wrong I, i guess if we do want to try to look for a real concern, the bench has just played horribly. And it's pretty much all of them, too. Like, guys that have been good all year, like George Niang, can't hit a shot and has been horrible defensively and on the glass. Yeah. That's a big deal. McDaniels comes back and, you know, he's playing hard because he's one of the few guys that was not fatigued from this road trip, but played really bad, just was not good, couldn't find his rhythm. You say it's first game back, whatever, but he also hasn't shot well in general, which is starting to become a real concern. Um, Shake Milton, bad game. And then even in the starting lineup, like PJ not playing well, he was horrendous in the Golden State game. It's just a lot of bad things happening at once. Hopefully it's just a, a brief aberration. Well, what's crazy is I feel like their bench players, and I'm sure it's like this with, with other teams' benches. We just obviously don't watch them as closely. But it is crazy how their bench players go from, you know, oh, man, like they have so many different pieces they can move to. McDaniels, Niang's, you know, when he catch and shoot three guy. like, And then they just completely at other points look unplayable in the playoffs. Like this team goes from having like they look like they have seven or eight players you would trust in the playoffs to – one or two or three, if you really want to, I guess, give PJ the benefit of the doubt extremely quickly. So I think that's what stood out the most for me. And tell me if you think this is an overreaction statement or if this is, you know, there's some truth to it. The team gets close to the one seed. Embiid gets close to the MVP. It feels like stuff's clicking. And then it just, 
Like they they buckle. Like the look at the last two these last two games, they've been competitive somewhat, especially that Warriors game. But it's the fourth quarter of these games, and so I feel like the the things that have been problems these last two games are somewhat things we've seen in past playoff failures, right? Not getting it done in close games at the end and injury concerns. So do you think the the fourth quarter performances have been especially concerning? And like, what do you what do you uh, kind of blame those on? No, I mean, I just think that it comes back to a thing we've said a hundred times. Like we can talk about the depth and the scheme and the rotations and all that. But if you don't have enough high-end talent, you're just not going to win games. That's that's the, the rule of the NBA. Like we can try to dress it up, but if you don't have James Harden and you don't have that second guy, all of a sudden, all the role players look much more like role players, right? Like again, no disrespect to Tyrese who was great individually in Phoenix, but, when he's the guy who has to, to captain the ship, when Joel Embiid's on the bench, they're kind of fucked. Like there is a mm-hmm. reason that Tyrese as the sixth man didn't work because he is not able to do everything you need to do as the guy who's leading that ship. Like he can get his own shot and he can make threes and he can score in transition and do all that. But when you're asking him to lead the offense and be the guy he has real limitations as a player. Like he's not much of a playmaker. He also, and I wrote this in my recap after the Phoenix game, he is like surprisingly limited going left. Like if teams just sit on his right hand, he doesn't have a lot to offer. Like if, if you watch mm-hmm. a lot of their stalled out possessions, it's when teams are are trying to guide him left and then he just dribbles back to the middle of the floor and they have to effectively just reset the whole possession. And that's now wasted, you know, four to six seconds on the shot clock with him trying to get right. And he might not ever be able to get right on that possession. And that, you know, that creates some real issues. So when you have James there instead, where he's got this, this deep bag to fall back on, and he is, you know, an incredible playmaker with vision that Tyrese just doesn't have, that has a real downstream effect on how everybody else looks like the type of shots that Niang and Shake and all these other guys are getting are just worse than what they're getting when Harden's on the floor. And I don't want to put it all on that. Like, yeah, they made some – Doc made some decisions that could have been better. Like, Deadman playing in that Phoenix game just doesn't make any sense to me on paper. It's just not a team he should be playing against. It's not the sort of matchup that I think he has any utility or value in. So that was just kind of a bizarre thing that he did that – I didn't really like, but yeah, I mean, I just think I was having a conversation with somebody about the Nuggets last night. Um, they're there. They have a bad bench and that is very clear. If you look yeah. at how they play their splits, all of that, but you know, so much of it just comes down to are your stars good enough or flexible enough that they can carry weird lineups or, or bad players or subpar players, however you want to put it. And I think that's why I'm skeptical of Denver in general. Like Jokic is great, but when he's off the floor and it's like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. with a bunch of iffy role players, you can see that Porter and Murray's warts as players and their lack of you know defensive aptitude, that gets put on all these other guys who are not that good in the first place. And so they're not that good by extension. So – Harden has been good enough offensively that, I mean, we don't really even have to give a shit that he's been a bad defender. Yeah. And with Joel off the floor, they don't have a chance to defend. But when Harden's not out there, all those role players are just not that good. That's Well, and I've been, I've been thinking a lot about something you said on the last pod, which is, look, Harden's going to come back and play. You said he might play on Monday. If he doesn't play Monday, you would think he's playing in that next game. But man, if he comes back and looks like the version of Harden we saw against the Bulls, and I would be surprised if it's that extreme. I mean, he was, as you mentioned, maybe the worst offensive game he's ever played, at least, you know, high up there in a Sixers uniform. But man, if he comes back and doesn't look good, we can sit here and I can try to, you know, do the whole, well, it's just two games, blah, blah, blah. Man, if he comes back and looks bad, then I think there is real reason for concerns. Because as you mentioned, it kind of feels like he's the piece that puts everything together. As awesome as Joel has been, 
we're seeing like Joel, it looks like the past few years when he hasn't had a legitimate second star. And you're seeing when you have to rely on Maxi or even just little things. I think the point you made was an excellent one where Joel's catching the ball on the floor. Like Harden has been so important for them. And if he comes back and isn't the same guy, that's, I think, when you really sit here and go, man, maybe these expectations we had, or at least we're starting to build, they, they, they might not be capable of meeting those. Yeah, like, look, I know that I've been singing their praises for quite a while now that I've said you should believe in them and all that. But if they start to really sputter down the stretch and Harden doesn't look good physically, then it's like, okay, well, what's their out here? It's basically just Joel has to be the best player in the world yeah. and carry them every night. And and look, like I thought there was an overreaction in some circles of like people I follow to Joel's defensive struggles at times in the last two games. Like the Warriors definitely took advantage of him on it during some sequences and pick and rolls with drop coverage and things like that. But like by and large, the defense was good enough with Joel in the game to win that game. But if the you're playing good teams in the playoffs, teams with high level guard and wing play who are going to stretch you out and, and make it harder for him to be like, all world defensive guy, like really tilt floor in their favor. And then you're totally relying on, you know, he's got to be all world scorer, best scorer in the league, all that stuff to win these games. And he's not getting that much help from Harden. Well, then it's like, okay, their, their paths to victory become far fewer. Like they're just, they have less outs. And so that's why they went and got a guy like Harden, like Harden in a lot of games this year, if there's been a, a second half swoon or Joel, maybe is not shooting that well or whatever it is, he's been able to come in. And if he's not shutting the door on a win, he's keeping them in a game. He's padding the lead just a little bit or just playing a team to a standstill. And if he can't do that, if he's not capable of doing that, they get into some, some real bad places. So uh, again, we have to actually see what he looks like. Uh, obviously, the last game being that Bulls game is burning your brain and it makes you think, yeah. oh man, sky is falling, all that stuff. But, you know, if he comes back out and he's looking like it's hard for him to get by guys and he's putting up a bunch of junk and he can't get jumpers to go down, then we start to say, he better get right in these last, you know, seven, eight games or, or they're in trouble. Yeah. So Monday night at Denver, I mean, look. In the NBA, it's hard to call any game, although we're getting to the point, like a must-win game. And as you mentioned, if they're going to be the two seed, they have to go undefeated. But I also think Monday night is really important for other reasons, just seeing a Harden looks. But I'm also interested to see how Embiid comes out and handle, handles this. We've talked at times, really more past seasons, but this season we've complimented him on how he's handled his emotions. And he doesn't seem to be that same guy. I know you said against Phoenix, you thought early on he was bad. But ultimately, I think he's come out for most games over the last, I don't know, two months, month, whatever, and really had it to start. I think Monday night is is like a get right game for this team. Go out, beat a good opponent. Joel plays well. Harden looks good. And I think I think you write the ship a little bit. But Monday's game now is setting up to be a, like a crucially important game. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and I know we sort of wrote off the idea that Jokic could win MVP for a little bit there. He just beat Giannis and the Bucks last night, right? Yeah. And and so if he comes out of the weekend, out of a three-day stretch, having beaten both the Bucks and the Sixers, and he outplays those guys, the conversation's going to swing right back. So, if, I mean, if we wanted to 
get down to that part of it, like throw out the standings and the seating and all that stuff, which I, I just think that they're kind of, it is what it is at this it point. I think the they're best. probably, they're probably locked into three barring something like a, a small miracle happening for them. The, the biggest thing left between now and the end of the regular season is the MVP race. Like that is the discussion that we're having. And so the, the pressure is now on Joel to go out and win this game. Like that, the, Point blank period. He yeah. had the huge game. And look, I, I think it'd be ridiculous if, if Jokic wins this one and all of a sudden now it's Jokic's award. It's kind of crazy when Joel beat him like a drum in that first matchup <laughs> and it wasn't even close. Right. But that's that's how this works, right? Like they've all been so good throughout this season that we're in the final two weeks of the year now, which is it's still crazy for me to say. I can't believe I it's this deep into the uh the season. But final two weeks of the year, if Jokic comes in and, and beats Joel, which they're a great home team and have played really well at home, just beat Milwaukee, had an amazing second half last night, the narrative is going to shift again. And so we'll see. I, I believe we're going to get the best version of Joel on Monday night. Like, I don't I don't think he's of the mindset to make excuses and whatever else. Like, even if Harden doesn't play, they have to figure out a way to try to win that game in a, a, a tough situation. But, but yeah, I think this is like, it's all on the line right now. Yeah. Would you t- two two things off that one? I agree. I think we'll get the best version of Joel. Joel had the quote um, after the game against the Warriors where, you know, Draymond said that Joel was like, Oh, I heard you said Jokic was the toughest player to defend in the league. So I wanted to come out and prove that I am. And I, I love that. I know like he got some slight criticism for that. Um, but I saw oh, really dude, those people are losers. I know. Who are yeah, like, I, it's yeah. another one of those things that it's all about who it's coming from. Yep. Like that's a quote unquote Mamba mentality yeah. thing from, from the right person. Like if, I don't know if Devin Booker were to say that to somebody, it's just like, Oh, he's a, he's a guard. He's a dog. He wants to <laughs> go at people, blah, blah, blah. But because it's Joel, it's like, Woohoo, this guy's never yeah. won anything. It's like, well, dude, he wants to win stuff. And <laughs> the, the, what we know, like in hindsight, what we know about these guys who are like all time greats is that they just invent these reasons to be mad going into all these games. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy slighted me in a press conference. I'm going to go out and prove that I'm the best player in the league or the best player in the world. Like on this given night, this is my, my reason that I'm lit up for this game. Like I'm, Whatever reason you have to make up to go out there and be the best version of yourself, like I don't care what it is. It could be because the guy who's like a backroom staffer didn't give you enough popcorn or something. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just – I'm mad. I'm going to take it out on the Warriors or I'm going to take it yeah. out on the Knicks or whoever it is. Like, I don't give a shit. As long as you go out there and play well, whatever reason that you need to play well is good enough for me. And I 100% agree. Like, let the dude be great. Let him care. We are a very pro – it's okay to want to win the MVP pod. I think, again, there's always going to be some people are like, don't care about it. Only want to see him win a ring. Like, well, first of all, no shit. I'm sure he wants to also win a ring if it was up to him. But, but also it's okay to care about wanting to win the MVP. But do you think he can lose on Monday and still win the MVP? Because I mean, I think he's still the betting favorite. I did not check since I woke up this morning. So it's possible things shifted. But at one point last week, he was not just the betting favorite. He was a somewhat heavy betting. He was like getting close to minus 200. Uh, Giannis, I think was plus 200 something. So he was doing like, you know, four or 500 point difference on that. But do you think if he loses Monday night, he can still win it? Or does he have to win Monday night for the, the dream to remain alive? It does depend on the performance. Like he could have a monster game and they just lose because as we just saw in Golden State, the rest of the team just isn't good enough. And, yeah. and I think in that scenario, you know, we can split hairs and say, well, you know, he lost, but he still clearly was better than Jokic, whatever it is like that could happen. I also think if he loses and then they go to Milwaukee and they win the Buck season series three to one and he outplays Giannis again, that also becomes a compelling case. They do have the Boston game as well that's you know that's another big national game where he's going to have one final chance to be like this is a showcase game and this is the last real one that people are going to think about heading into the uh the playoffs and certainly as awards voting ends for members of the media so no i mean i think it's a big one like i don't think he can 
I don't think he can have a bad game and still have the tailwind behind him. And I do feel, I, I still think he is the betting favorite as it sits right now. But yeah, as we know, uh, like, producer James put that in the chat. He's minus 145. So as of Sunday morning, he's still the betting favorite. Yeah. So he's still in a good position right now. It's all in his hands. If he plays well, if they play well, I, I think we've seen that the voters are willing to say if a guy is not, you know, on the best team in the, the league, as we saw yeah. with Jokic last season, they're not necessarily zeroing in on that. So look, he can still make the case, but I think it gets much tougher if he loses on Monday night. We'll put it that way. At what point do you start to, if you're the Sixers, say, you know what, we're going to be the two, I'm sorry, we're going to be the three seed. Like, that just kind of is what it is, right? And I know it's still somewhat in their control because if they do win out and they beat the Celtics, like, there is, is somewhat still there. But we talked about Harden. We know Embiid in past years has had some trouble breaking down or, or you know, kind of staying healthy for the playoffs. I'm okay with him wanting to win MVP. But at what point, if you're running the Sixers, if you're, you know, Maury or Doc, whoever makes these decisions, people in Joel's corner, at what point do you say we might just have to to play, like to focus on the playoffs now and rest guys and not push Harden on Monday night? Because again, Monday's a big game for Joel, but also for the team. But if you're the Sixers, are you pushing Harden for that? I mean, if, if you're like on the fence with Harden, are you leaning then, you know what, sit because we're probably going to be the three seed? Like, do you think they've reached that point or when do you think they will get to that point? Cause it seems like we both believe that's where it's headed. I mean, I don't think they should be putting anybody out there if they're actually genuinely concerned about their health. I, I think mm -hmm. health is number one priority. I just don't think it's an either or proposition. I, I think one thing I came away from last season when I watched Brooklyn get absolutely smoked by the Celtics in the first round is that I think this stretch matters somewhat. Like it's not a make or break part of the year in any way. Like this tends to be a part of the year where teams motivations are just all over the place and it's hard right. to draw sweeping conclusions from how they're playing. But I do think if you're the, a team that's ramping it up and dialing it, dialing it up, as we talked about with the Sixers prior to this uh, skid they're on this week, I think that benefits you going into the playoffs. Like you could very well win the first couple games of a tough series just because you've been locked in and playing, you know, playoff type basketball for, you know, the month leading into the playoffs. And the other team is coming off of, you know, kind of just BS over the last yeah. month, month and a half, whatever it is. There is that lull with the play in tournament that now all the teams in the top half of the conference all have that kind of built in, uh, leisure window we'll call it it's not true rest because they're practicing and doing all that so that does cut into that a little bit but i just think you have to carry yourselves as a team that you know needs to get right and, and be the best version of themselves i don't think they are good enough or have the track record that we can say yeah they can just kind of punt the last two weeks of the season and that has no impact on you know how things are going to go in the playoffs. So I think they need to strike a balance. I, I think health comes first, but absolutely do not just throw these weeks away because they, they should be continuing to build good habits as they head into the postseason. So we've spent so much time on the pod the last few weeks and really the first half of this pod today talking about the, the one and the two seed and the three seed, right? The reality is we're probably now at a point where it's going to matter more what's happening at the five seed, the six seed in terms of who they're going to play. So often we look past the first round as, you know, talking about the Celtics or Bucks in the second round, who it's going to be, who has home court, all those things. I think we're both pretty confident they're going to get out the first round, but the, the opponent does matter to your point, how those opponents are playing matters, how the Sixers are playing matters heading into it. So when you look at those potential first round matchups, who do you prefer? Who do you think it's going to be? I mean, I, I didn't check the standings this morning, but I believe, is, are the Heat still in sixth or have they gotten to the fifth? No, the Heat are in seventh, but it is very tight in the okay. uh, sixth through, well, I guess it's it's really five through seven right now. The Knicks are kind of struggling a little bit. They've lost three in a row. So I think the clear order as it sits right now in terms of uh, – potential opponent and the let's just say the Knicks stay in five the Sixers should be on their hands and knees praying 
that the Nets are the sixth seed. Like the yeah. Nets are just, dude, they are not good, man. They've been, I want to say they're like seven and 14 since the Durant trade. Well, they're four they're and just, six in their last uh, 10. I can tell you that. They're just not very good. Like, again, I've said this on several different platforms at this point. If you have to rely on like Spencer Dinwiddie and Mikhail Bridges yeah. to be your guys who are handling the ball and leading you in fourth quarters of games, I, just, I don't think that's a no disrespect to Mikhail Bridges, who has been very good since uh, leaving Phoenix. I just don't think that's a recipe for success. And if you're asking me if I'd rather play Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney Smith, in a playoff series versus Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Yeah. I, I don't think it's even close. Like, I think that's an easy call. And if for whatever reason, Atlanta went on a crazy run in the year, I just, I think they're too far out of it. So I think it's basically yeah, just three a, back. I think, I think it's a Brooklyn versus Miami conversation. Mostly. I, I don't fear the Hawks either. Like I, I think they've been bad for most of the year. Their defense is bad. The, the vibes are just totally off. They hired Quinn Snyder, and that's made basically no difference in terms of yeah. their, their night to night. They had one of the worst losses in the league all season in a recent comeback loss to the Spurs. So, yeah, I guess the the thought of playing Jimmy and Bam in the playoffs and Eric Spolstra on top of that, like if you're just looking at Miami as a, a proposition – I think they've been bad enough that I think if you have any fear of them as the Sixers, I don't want to hear anyone talk about them as a serious contender. Like they have not mm. been good. But if you want to talk about the upside case with Miami, I'm I don't know if this is still true, but they're a negative point differential team for the season and they're five games over 500. And that says to me that there is some degree of like coaching acumen that's happening that Spolstra is getting these guys to overperform what their their expectations should be based on their point differential I think it also speaks to the fact that they can play in and win a lot of tight games because they do have Jimmy to carry them through those stretches and yeah. you know bam in, in those type of games we saw it in the playoffs last year but you've seen this historically too he is sort of a matchup proof defender and that he is one of the two to three best switch defenders in the league. So you could throw him out on Harden on a possession and he can lock him up. He gave Joel a lot of problems now and injured Joel obviously last year, but gave him a bunch of trouble in the playoffs. They do find ways to shrink the floor and make it hard for Joel to operate with different. They play a lot of zone. And so zone can junk things up for them and makes, make things really hard on them. So that is the the team. If you're picking one to avoid, you probably want to avoid. But I'm of the mindset, again, as I've said before, if they have any fear of that Miami team, we should just pack it up now and start talking about where James is going in the offseason and who's going to be the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, so I don't think they'll lose to the Heat. I think to your point, like the Heat, the 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 problem the Heat present is probably the biggest concern every fan has about this team, which is, do they just have it in them to win in the playoffs? Like, And I think we look at that so much with the Bucs and the Celtics, and rightfully so. Those teams are way better than the Heat. The Sixers can play their B game and win the, the series against the Heat just skill-wise. Like, They don't have to shoot at lights out to win whatever. But I think the concern with the Heat is, to your point, is if you know this kind of slump we're seeing the team in, right, where they – Let's say Harden doesn't play on Monday or he does play and they lose. Right. And then it's three straight and like Harden doesn't look himself. And the Heat are the team that I feel could take advantage of that. I do think the Nets like there's a little bit of a worry with uh, they don't know what they don't know. Young up and coming like whatever, where they're just playing without any pressure. I think all the pressure would be on the Sixers. The Heat are a team that I think would come out and at the very least swing really hard at the Sixers. Like it might not connect. It might not like the Sixers could maybe take it and still win, but I think the heat would come out and test the Sixers mental toughness right away. And I also think now I believe Harden's played well against them this year, but I also think Harden is then like a specific player where you would look and go, how's he going to play against the heat coming off of this injury? Yeah. And I just, I think, the the reason anybody would worry about the heat is they haven't had to play well to win games right yeah. like they 
they have sort of a similar like what we've talked about with the Sixers this year, where we say, you know, they they've won games where they haven't played well and they just they find ways to win. A lot of those qualities are present with the Heat because Jimmy just finds ways to pull wins out of thin air. And, and Bam giving them that defensive spine is a big help there too. Like Jimmy does the free throw grifting and the, like the offensive rebounds where he's skying over people and you know, he'll get a steal in the backcourt right after a made basket. Just like all these little things that add up over the course of the game. And if we're, we want to talk about, you know, playoff track records, I know Jimmy's had some bad moments himself, but he's had a lot of deep, really good playoff runs where yep. he's been the best guy in a given series. And, and so that's sort of the problem. It's like if they play Brooklyn, I have absolutely no concern that the best and even the second best players are going to be on the Sixers. I think in most versions of a Miami series, you do get Joel as the best player and probably James as the second best player. But I can at least see, based on history, track record, coaching matchup, all that, a world where Jimmy just gets to a level the other two guys don't, where he's not really phased by, you know, okay, they have James and Joel, but I have me. Like, I think that's how <laughs> Jimmy thinks. Like, I don't yeah. I don't think he really cares about – he even said in a um, – a post-game thing, a post-game interview recently said, like, I don't even really start playing hard until after the All-Star <laughs> break. And it's like he's played at an all-NBA level this year, despite the fact that he hasn't been at, you know, full go. And so I think there is something to the idea that he is always kind of saving another level for the playoffs. We saw that in Philadelphia. Like I I think people there's a little bit of revisionist history with how good he was on the whole with the Sixers, but I think he was awesome in the playoffs. And part of that is because he saved his body for the playoffs. Yeah. Well, I do wonder too. And look, we are certainly, this is a pod. They've lost two straight. We're probably looking at the glass half full empty version of, of all this stuff. Right. But I do wonder if, you know, we talk often about Joel's relationships around the league when it comes to like recruiting players and all that stuff. One person we know he's tight with is Jimmy. I do wonder if maybe Jimmy holds the mental edge over Joel, where Jimmy goes into the series feeling supremely confident in Joel. Maybe there's, even if it's five or 10% of them, that's, man, Jimmy's really good. You know, like I, I, I mean, do you think there's any of that in terms of if there's one player that might own Joel like mentally? I feel like it might be Jimmy. Nah, because I just, I think, I would think more along the lines of, is there any Bam factor there? Because Bam did a great job on both. Like the, the problem in the playoffs last year, and again, we have to add the caveat, Joel was hurt, hurt, right? Yeah. We don't have to say Bam outplayed him and blah, 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 because it's he was compromised. But I think Bam, in the way that he will make Joel work on the defensive end and make him move and track him as a roller and all that stuff, like that – if you can get Joel involved in the game on both ends where you wear him down over time, I mean, Bam just has a higher motor and can play harder for longer than Joel can because he doesn't have the same level of offensive responsibility that Joel does. And so that that is more where I would worry with Miami from a Joel perspective. Like Jimmy's not guarding Joel. Jimmy doesn't have much impact on how Joel plays in a given game. Bam does, and how they set up does. So the key is going to be solving that problem. And some of that, again, comes down to James Harden, where he's got to take advantage of different matchups. Like He's got to beat up on somebody like Tyler Hero, and Kevin Love is going to be playing big minutes for them. Guys who are defensive targets that James can – you know, pick apart in isolation, force those switches, whatever. And they're going to have to hit shots against Miami zone because if Miami can sit back and just say, hey, bomb away from three, we're going to crowd Joel in the middle of the floor yeah. and dare you to beat us as shooters. Well, if they can't beat that, then they're in big trouble. But again, I, I think end of the day, they are a better and I would say much better team than the Miami Heat. They have been all year and we've spent way too much time on this podcast considering the possibility <laughs> that they would have to beat Miami. Let's put it that way. Well, the, the absolute last question I have on this and is we, we kind of dismiss the Knicks, but 
when it comes to Knicks Heat, who would you rather play there? Uh, I'd rather play the Knicks, I think, but the Knicks are better than Miami. I yeah, just I think so too. again that that just comes down to I don't have the same fear factor of Brunson and RJ Barrett and Julius Randle yeah. as I would now. The other side of it is Mitchell Robinson is huge. I think Joel would beat up on him a little bit, but he's just a huge guy to throw at Joel. Brunson is very good. Randall is a guy who might shoot you into or shoot you out of a game. So it would depend on how he's going on a given night. I just think the matchups are a little cleaner there. So, you know, I want to bring up something too. I think a sneaky subplot coming down the stretch is, what version of PJ Tucker are they going to get in the playoffs? Mm -hmm. He was absolutely horrendous in that golden state game on both ends. Like I I think everybody focused on the shooting, like he's record scratching possessions in the corner and Joel just kept giving them the ball, giving them, there were some weird like back and forth sequences where it looked like Joel was like, shoot the goddamn ball (laughs) almost in the way that he kept giving them the ball for uh, Joel. But then at the other end, I mean, he's getting smoked by Draymond for a decent amount of that game. And I think we've seen in a lot of these big games that PJ is a really critical defensive component of making things work. Like I'm interested in the Denver game on Monday night. Are we going to see PJ guarding Jokic for a lot of that game? Because, you know, as you'll remember in the first meeting, when they went down double digits heading into halftime, the big adjustment was switching so that PJ's guarding Jokic. Joel is playing as a roamer, essentially. And that totally flipped the game on defense. If PJ's not able to hold up in some of these difficult matchups and you're not able to move Joel as a, a chess piece on that side of the ball, well, then you're, you're past the winning shrink. And so uh, if he's not looking good physically, if he's not hitting shots, and you have to go to a Niang or a McDaniels or whoever right. in that spot, or even just play Tobias and then you know play Melton and you're playing the three-guard lineup and you're seeing how that goes, you don't have as much versatility defensively and you become almost wholly reliant on if you're able to outscore teams. And they've, they've been able to do that for most of the year. They've been the number one offense in the league or close to it from December 1st onward, but PJ is like a a really underrated part of what makes everything go and what makes them adaptable in the playoffs. So they got to get him up to speed coming down the stretch. And man, I'll I'll be honest. Like I'm, I'm probably not as good at noticing the little things PJ does that probably you would be in terms of the little, little things he's supposed to do. Well, I've just been wholly unimpressed with PJ the entire season and he's been better at stretches. I mean, we spent, the first part of this pod talking about if they should bench him or not. But in terms of confidence level going in, like whenever Maxi shoots the ball, I'm supremely confident it is going in. Whenever PJ shoots, I have no hope whatsoever that it goes in. Now I know obviously he's making threes, but I think I, I agree. Like I think these last few games and especially that golden state game, he's been concerning, like concerningly bad and heading in. And he's another person. Like you talk about not to keep going back to the heat, but he's somebody that's supposed to be the, mental toughness you can count him in the playoff guy and i just i haven't seen it like i have no confidence he'll make a big play when it matters or a big shot and that's all year i know maybe he's in that jimmy vein of all right now it's time to start playing but i just i have no confidence i definitely think there's some of that like i think a guy his age who's been around the block I, i think there is absolutely a level of there's going to be a different level in the playoffs. And even in the Golden State game, I thought he came out and looked good. Like there are a lot of PJ type plays, offensive rebounds, scrapping with guys in the first, you know, eight to 10 minutes of the game. The problem is he's 37 years old and you can only make so many of those plays and dial it up so much before you start getting tired and less effective and the jumper stops falling and there are all kinds of problems there. I actually wanted to look it up. What do you think PJ Tucker is shooting from three this season? Just guess. Uh, 35%. He's at 38.7%. Wow. So it's, he and doesn't I went a little higher it. than I thought too, because I figured it would be a, a shocking number. He was at 40 for a How lot of this year. Now? Less than two. It's like one. Okay. 1.8 per game. So not a lot, but but that's that is a bigger problem I think than 
whether he's making 40% of his shots or not. It's the fact that he just isn't taking that many. He gets, he has more than 1.8 open shot opportunities a game. We'll put it that way. And I'm more concerned with the fact that he hasn't really shown a lot of confidence in his shot this year. Cause I look, I can live with PJ has a cold spell for a few games and, goes 0 for 6, 0 for 7, like a, a Danny Green type performance. Mm-hmm. I think that was something that people were driven crazy by with Danny or like Rob Covington when he was here, that they just kept shooting and kept shooting and kept shooting. And that it looks ugly and it is ugly in the moment. It's like, why won't this guy get rid of the fucking ball, like pass mm-hmm. it to somebody else, whatever it is. But you need those role players to have an almost limitless well of confidence. because. Yeah. They're going to be like, let's just say they're not even shooting poorly. There are going to be games where they don't touch the ball for like two quarters of the game. A guy who's a corner shooter who's facing the floor for Joel and James might just be standing there with his hands up like this, waiting for the ball for, I don't know, like 14 minutes of game time and then need to hit a shot. So your mentality as that guy has to be, as soon as this ball hits my hands, it's going up. I don't care if there's a closeout coming. I don't care if I'm 0 for 8. I don't care about anything other than this is my shot. This is my opportunity. And it's going up. So, so why I don't do you think, think he's I've, not getting as many shots then? I, I don't think he looks confident in his shot. Like I, I just don't right. just eyeballing it. Like when he when he's feeling good, I think he gets shots up. But you know, there's been the weird wrist hand thing at times this year where he said he's got a dead hand and there's like yeah, numbness or something, yeah. which is just like a crazy thing to have happen. Now, we haven't heard that in a while. I think he played well for quite a bit. So that's been, you know, pushed to the side. But I do think there's a mental part of it, too, where PJ isn't that guy. Like he's not going to shoot himself out of slumps or or be Danny Green where it's like, I just, this is my shot. I'm taking it. He's not that sort of guy. Like he would rather, I'm giving it back to the star. I'll run a handoff. I'll do this. I'll do that. He is a very good corner shooter, but he's just not, he sort of manufactured himself into a a good corner shooter. He was not a guy that has always been, you know, like a high level. Danny Green dating back to playing at North Carolina was a, he could score and do all that. He was a confident, good shooter. PJ Tucker had to make himself into one. And so I do think there's that difference in terms of he just isn't wired that way. That's not Which his is game. crazy because his personality seems like he would be an irrational confidence guy. Like it seems like he would be a I'll just shoot no matter what guy. On, de- right. on defense he is. Like I yeah. think on defense he says I'll check anybody. Like I'll guard if you need me to defend Nikola Jokic who's got I don't know like 8 yeah. inches on him or whatever right. it is. Like I'll do it. I'm I'm tough enough. I'm strong enough. I'll do it. So in some ways he is wired that way. Like I'll go get an offensive rebound and beat three guys to go get it. Like I will out muscle these people, but I don't think that translates to shooting and the other parts of offense, the way you might hope it would. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we've talked about the Denver game a little bit, but to, to wrap it up with the Denver game, because it is the obviously not just a big game, but it is the next game. Outside of whether or not Harden plays, because that's I think that's the biggest question heading into the game. What are you looking for in that game? What should you know the pod listeners be looking for? Like, what's the Kyle Newbeck kind of preview of, of what's going to matter in this game? Because while winning does matter and it keeps hope alive, they're already a little bit of a point where it is what it is because they're going to be the three seed. But what are you looking for? Well, the bench versus the bench. Well, I shouldn't say bench versus bench. The stars versus bench lineups for the other teams is mm-hmm. basically the biggest subplot in the game other than Embiid versus Jokic. Because as we've talked about on the podcast already, Sixers bench has been terrible. 
Denver's bench has been terrible all year. So it's it's just a, a mid-off between the two teams, <laughs> essentially. Uh, and that's part of why Harden playing in this game matters a lot, right? Because if Jokic is going to dominate minutes without Joel, and I think that's probably a fair thing to bet on, that I would bet on the same thing going the other way. Part of the way you neutralize that is James is on the floor in all those minutes, and you try to take advantage of what the Nuggets lack in terms of space defenders. You try to pick on Jokic a little bit. You put guys like Jamal Murray on an island and say, I dare you to guard James Harden in isolation, and you do things like that. So that, that I think, is going to play a huge role as it does on a lot of nights. Uh, I'm interested to see what Doc does in terms of backup center in this game because after a pretty long run where Paul Reed was kind of the undisputed, he's the guy, played well, Doc has had a really quick hook for him the last few nights. And I think you can see maybe the trust has not been earned, even though Paul did have that good run of play. And some of that just timing too, considering the playoffs are coming up. Right. And they're playing good teams. So I I think, you know, Paul playing well against any team is good, but it, it matters more if he's playing well against better teams and teams that the matchups are more like what they're going to see in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that he's going to play Paul against Jokic. Not that I I don't think that's a great matchup for any of these guys. And I wonder back to the PJ topic, if PJ is going to match those minutes and play on Jokic, regardless of whether dwells in the game or not. Now I think trying to ask PJ to guard him and then not have a rim protector behind him that is probably putting PJ in a position to fail. Like that is, that is really tough. And Jokic will pick you apart as a passer. Guys will back cut their other defenders. And that, that I think is just a, not a way to win, but I I guess Harden would have to carry them on offense to make that work. So all roads leading through James and PJ, if we're talking about the non, the non Embiid minutes. And then I just want to see overall, like, what does this team look like against the number one team in the West? We saw them beat them at home and they lodged that big comeback. That was great. But you're in a hostile environment. You know that whether Jokic really cares about MVP or not, we've had that discussion before. The fans in Denver are certainly going to be fired up for this oh, yeah. game. Like they're rooting for their guy. They they know that a lot is on the line between these games. That's Denver coming off this big win against Milwaukee on Saturday night. They've been an awesome home team all year the altitude plays a factor they're they're going to be revved up and so i i've loved that they've had so many of these games where there's something to play for like this game doesn't mean anything really for denver in terms of seating and positioning and all that like they've kind of been locked into the top of the western conference for a while which i think explains part of their slide but it creates a playoff type atmosphere because of all the personal stakes that are going into this. And I want to see how the Sixers respond as a group. Well, potential NBA finals preview too, right? Yeah. I mean, the the Nuggets are probably going to come out. Well, I shouldn't say probably. I think they have a, the Nuggets, it wouldn't shock me if they got swept in the first round or if they made it to the conference finals. It probably would surprise me if they won the West. I'll take that back. I think that as weak as the West is, I'm just not a believer in that team, but potential finals preview if the Sixers can, man, I mean, we, you know, just to wrap it up, like Heat Celtics Bucks would probably be the worst path you could pick. Like if you charted a path for them, that would probably be it. And two of those on the road, like two of those without right. home court is probably the more important thing here. Like if, if you're the two seed and you get, like you were going to have to beat one of Boston or Milwaukee in round two regardless, mm-hmm. but to have to do it with the road disadvantage is a huge deal. So yeah, like, so actually you brought up the finals thing that is a good reason to try to push for as good of a record as possible you want to have home court in the finals like you want to have a better record than whoever you're playing like that's a that's a pretty big deal like you don't i think the sixers would be the best team left regardless of who they play in the finals i agree but if you have to play on the road to start the series like you go down 2-0 and and then the other team steals a game on the road. The series is basically over. Yeah. That, that's a big deal. <laughs> well, especially to like, well, I do. Well, right, do you think the rule should be the better record gets it or the better seeding gets it? Cause it is better record. 
It is kind of wild for Denver. You're the one seed, and then you're on the road against the three seed in the East. Like I can see if it, if the roles were reversed, we might be sitting here and being like, "That's kind of fucked up." I guess, but you know, I if, you're, if you have a worse record, like I don't care. I have one ridiculous thought on college basketball, and then we'll wrap it up. So, do you have any other uh, any other NBA Sixers thoughts, or are we just gonna move on and, and wait to see how this game goes on Monday? No, I think we're. That's probably about it. There's only so much you can say about (laughs) races. Um. All right. So, who's the center's name from Gonzaga? Uh, that seems like he's been there forever. He's got the handle. Uh, Timmy or Timmy? I don't don't remember how to pronounce his name. Drew Timmy. All right. I think he should be allowed. Like, I think college players should be allowed to play as long as they want in college. And there would obviously. (laughs) be some rules to this, right? Like you can't just go from school to school to school. Once you're in a school and you play like your final year of eligibility, you're stuck there. But let's be real. Like there's, it's not going to, many players are going to move on to the NBA anyway, right? Like Drew Timmy is like the ultimate college guy. He'll go to the NBA and he'll probably suck. Like his days of glory are over. Like what's the downside of just letting them continue to play? Other people have to stay in college as long as they want. I think there should be no. Well, it's not they graduate anyway. Well, but you can keep taking classes. Like there's no stopping you. Right. So I just think like, I look at these college players and I think that every year, maybe not every year, but every few years, there's one guy that you're like, that's just a college guy. He's huge in college. He'll go to the pros and not be that good. It does kind of suck for him, especially now that you can make NIL money. It does kind of suck for him that he's now no longer eligible to play. So what is this? Like the Van Wilder rule? Yeah. Just, just stay as long as you want. Just, just that's an insane take. That's just but like, I, don't, I don't think many people would do it, but I think that for the people that it would benefit, I think it it's a it's a big deal. Oh, here's my college basketball take. I haven't watched a single minute of the tournament. <laughs> not not a single I'm one. Honestly, like I, the same way. I, I have I would say nor in a normal year, but there's just like so I got off to a bad start with following college basketball this year because the wedding in the fall puts yeah. like everything else on the back burner, back burner. You come back from the honeymoon, the Sixers are already in the middle of their season. And so I'm jumping back into that. And then I just like, don't keep right. up with it. The Sixers also don't have a first round draft pick this year. They traded away their most valuable second in the Bible McDaniels trade. Yeah. So there's not a lot of reason for me to pay attention to prospects. I'll do all the like cramming and watching tape and things like that in the you know month leading into the draft, whatever it is. College basketball is just not good enough for me to care about if it, mm-hmm. there's not like a professional angle involved at this point. Well, my rule I spend <laughs> I spend so much time watching the NBA to have a pulse on what's happening that it's just a totally different world. Like I don't know. I don't really trust the people who pretend to be experts on both the NBA and college because they're just, there's just too much. Like I do have a lot of respect for the people that are on the scouting side that say, you know, this is how this guy's going to translate and what have you. But yeah, I haven't wasted a second of my time on this tournament. It seems like it's been a fun and exciting tournament, but I just, I don't really care about the brackets anymore. So actually here's another take. I think my feelings about brackets have reached the point that I'm at with fantasy football, which is that I don't want to have a conversation with a fucking single person <laughs> about their bracket or their fantasy yeah. football team. I just, I don't care, dude. I well, don't care that you needed 15 more yards from fucking Miles <laughs> Sanders. I don't care that you picked this 12 seed upset that every single other person in the world picked because 12, five has been the sexy upset pick for forever and ever. Like I simply do not care. Like your bracket is not interesting to me. It is interesting to you because you're in a, a pool. It's, and I'm almost at that point with gambling too. Like, Oh great. Here's your parlay bet slip. Like, yeah. Awesome. Well, if you win a bunch of money, like I, I think about, I, I think a lot about gambling in the sense that like I'm interested in the lines and yeah. MVP odds and, and all that kind of stuff. And what does this say about what the bookmakers think of this team versus this team? But if, if all these people are tweeting at me, like, Oh, this guy didn't score 30 and he ruined my 15 leg parlay. <laughs> I'm sort of like the players where I'm like, come on, bro. Like 
great. Maybe you shouldn't be betting 15 team parlays then. Like, well, I do kind of think the brackets are, <laughs> are for kids now. Like I'm just like the, even the taking the time to do it is, but I think that the tournaments reached a place where I look on Twitter. Cause you're right. I haven't watched a ton of it either, but it almost feels forced at this point. It's like, Oh my God. Like I'm so tired from watching all this basketball or like, Oh my God, this game was so crazy. It's like, it doesn't even matter how good the games are. People are just going to say it's a crazy tournament. I think there's been one game all tournament that I've seen my timeline, like consistently tweeting about. And I think it was Michigan state, Kansas state, like a few nights ago. But outside of that, it doesn't feel like there's been any special moments, any special plays or anything. And to bring it all back, one way to change that is to keep the best players in college that aren't good enough for the NBA. And just like, imagine Drew Timmy like retiring after 12 years at Gonzaga. Like he could legitimately, <laughs> he could legitimately be like a, a like a in his early thirties. Just playing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, got like three kids playing right. college basketball. Like does anybody in college basketball legitimately deserve to have their number retired besides like Carmelo at Syracuse? Like how many people actually go and make a huge, like, I think if you had these people stay for five, six, seven years, the content would be better. The basketball would be better for sure. And the people's lives would be better. So that would be my ultimate take from the uh, the March Madness tournament so far. Just let them play as long as they want. Well, and just to be clear, I want to say, like, people being passionate about this stuff, about their bracket and their team and all that is is fine. Like, I'm not hating on anybody who gets fired up for this time of year. That's why I don't I don't tweet things like this because I just I don't feel the need to dunk on people yeah. for whatever they're passionate about or whatever they're having fun doing. It's just like, I don't, I hate having these like small talk conversations. It's to me, it's almost as bad as talking about the weather. It's like, <laughs> Oh, so how's your bracket looking? It's like, well, it's so funny. It's looking that. the same as yours. It's probably mediocre. There's like <laughs> average year. Everyone's right. bracket is kind of mid and you have one guy or girl or whatever, like, that just pick the decent bracket and that's it. It's just a boring conversation that happens the same time of year every year. Well, it's so funny you bring up the weather because I was in the elevator a few days ago at work and we were talking about the weather, of course, because like I vaguely knew the guy. So it was just like, oh, wow, it's so nice out, blah, blah. Weather really is the ultimate small talk. I agree that it's basic, <laughs> but it is wild. Well, dude, and I do it too. I catch yeah, myself. I'm like, yeah. man, it's beautiful out. And in my head, I'm like, man, I'm such a fucking loser I know. for saying <laughs> I know, that. I know. And it's like, oh, man, the rain was wild yesterday. How about that wind? But like everyone has something to say about it. It really is the best way to kill like to like, you know, like a minute. Like we talked about the elevator pitch for the MVP. Maybe that'll be my new thing. As soon as the door closes, I'll just be like, tell me why Giannis is MVP before we get to the fifth floor. And that'll just be the way I'll avoid my weather talk. So yeah, just no, just talk about your fantasy football team, which exactly, everybody yeah. is obviously interested in at all times. Exactly. All right. So I have to catch a flight to Arizona, unfortunately. So we're going to have to wrap this bad boy up. But the Nuggets game on Monday night, we're going to try to get a pod for you ASAP after that one. And then from there, we'll figure it out. But uh, thanks again for everybody that's listening. Download the Odyssey app. Appreciate everyone that's been leaving reviews. We had someone tweet today. They were excited to listen to the pod. I was excited to see that. It was a good way to start my morning. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you guys next time. See you guys soon.